Welcome back to The Stack. This week we speak with Noah Kuman, also known as Librex Dozreich. New York human, if such a thing exists. A genuine Tycho with the good fortune to make the lists of Urbit and Stack Elite. Making the Stack Elite can't be done by the effete, no, but there is a bit about Noah's Blueberry Quantro. We talk about authors and books and who's getting a look in the pages of the Mars Review, Noah's scheme to publish in the face of much that is rubbish, but not too exclusively clubbish because he's building a team out of half Urbit and half New York writers. And thus, an Urbity print magazine that will find its way to very cool places like the lower platform at 63rd and 3rd in Manhattan. I have no idea what that means. I just googled worst subway stations in New York. You will also be able to find it at Noah's local bodega, which is another New York thing. I come from Georgia, where we just call them stores. We also call bagels round bread. Pizza is round bread with sauce. By the by, a note and a correction. Note, this episode was recorded on the first or second day of the Ukraine invasion, so it's a bit dated in that sense. Man, I've got certain information, all right? Certain things have come to light, and, you know, has it ever occurred to you that instead of, uh, you know, running around uh, uh, blaming me, you know, given the nature of all this new shit, you know, this could be a a, a lot more... uh, 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 complex. I mean, it's not just, it might not be just such a simple, uh, you know? What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. And a correction. It was Sherwood Anderson and not Wallace Stevens who died from swallowing a toothpick. I'm sorry to the Stevens family for maligning him. Stevens himself was simply a miserable old prick who couldn't take a punch. Splendid poetry, though. And now, the news. Ookbar is getting more public. Blockchain OS has a shiny new palace at ookbar.network. Join them there, as well as on their presences at Discord or Telegram. Read the white paper. Get excited. Buy in. Pump up the price of my Urbit real estate so I can retire to a nice, quiet little Eastern European country and be the dawn of some local equivalent of the Bass Pro Shop. Speaking of the Ukbar people, Escape continues developing. They have added emojis to the chat. They're the same size as the text font, and I have discovered that I am too old to see them clearly. But blindness for very small faces is a blessing of old age. One no longer has to notice the Irish. Escape's Urbit app also brings notifications to Android and iOS. A game changer. Let me see who's just sent me a message. Ah, it's Andy. Drinking blueberry Quantro with some New York friends. Well, Andy's dead to me now. And finally, Urbit's own little chatbot, Crow, has gotten a major upgrade thanks to Rabsef Bikrime and the good people of Dalton. Crow can manage simple talkback applications, but also manage stateful libraries and threads that users can write and connect to chat activities. It comes pre-built with a Robot 9000 library, an invite bot library, a Givagora thread, and an aggressive IPFS conversion thread. All of these interact with the graphs you point them to. Crow can respond to any sort of graph post we have in chats today, such as URLs, codes, etc., And it knows when people join and leave the groups to which the chats it watches are connected. Amazing plucky little beast. 
Don't, however, try to pluck it. You will be called a plucker, or if a mother, a mother plucker. The same if you try to pluck a mother, or if plucking another, another plucker, or another mother plucker. You may say, aw shucks, but then you'll just be thought of as a shucking plucker, or another shucking plucker, or another shucking mother plucker. You should only shuck corn. But this thing has gotten corny enough already. Now, a word from our sponsor. On February 25th of the current year, the High Council of BuzzFeed News gathers for their most secretive of meetings. Precisely timed for when the world would be most distracted, simultaneously during the invasion of Ukraine and Elden Ring's release day, the Council of Thirteen gather in the one place on Earth no one would even dare think to look for them. In Shreveport, Louisiana, deep beneath the Taco Bell on Line Avenue. Not, not the one next to the Home Depot, the good one off of Uri. The robed and hooded figures stand atop an ancient stone dais, towering above a sniveling figure genuflecting before them. Bits of tomato, beef, and cheese drip from his hair from the number five that had just been thrown at him. But the figure dares not lift his forehead from the ground to wipe away the mess. We are not so supremely disappointed in you, Mr. Joseph Bernstein, one of the cloaked figures drawled. This is twice now you've failed us. First, we send you to cancel Sam Hyde for his Reddit comments, only for you to get owned so badly over the course of the phone call that you became a TikTok meme and now he is known worldwide as the Ghost of Kiev. Then we send you to infiltrate NPC Seafest to make it look as lame as possible, dox everyone there, and make sure that no one dares attend a party thrown by p the ever again. Instead, you manage to both make it look like the wildest event of the year and spend your entire write-up trying to cancel a beloved young artist who, may I remind you, has been dead for nigh on six months. Pray tell us, don't you feel silly? Don't you feel stupid? Don't you feel a little ashamed? Yes, yes, I do, I do, I'm so sorry. I only thought that Bernstein's stuttering apology was cut off by an extra large cup of Mountain Dew making contact with his back, dousing him with ice-cold corn syrup. That's right, you thought. It's not your place to think, Mr. Bernstein. A different voice this time, but it held the same sneer of cold command. It's not your place to do anything other than what the council commands. You would do well to remember that. Give thanks to whatever dark powers watch over you that circumstances have forced us to give you the rarest of things, a third chance. The Dalton Collective, that upstart confederacy of urban nerds, has meddled in our plans one too many times, and their membership is growing by the week. This ends now. You will go out into the world and find us the information we need to bring down the Dalton Collective. Start at their website, Dalton.org. That should be easy enough even for you. Be warned, if you fail us again, pray you are allowed the honorable mercy of Baja blasting your brains out. As Bernstein scampers away into the dark, the meeting is adjourned and the massive ceremonial Mexican pizza is brought out before the council. The hooded figures find they can not suppress the anxiety they feel deep in the places where their souls were supposed to be. If Dalton is not stopped soon, the collective's influence could grow far beyond even the high council's power to contain. But what is to be done? And now, our talk with Librex Dozreich. What's your uh, what's your poison? What do, what do you what's your cocktail? This is this isn't even a cocktail. This is a uh, this is a blueberry infused Cointreau because that's all I had in the cabinet. And uh, you know, I was gonna go get some whiskey, but you know, 
I was, I was looking over my notes. I was running low on time. And, uh, you know, so this is, uh, you know, this is the real bohemianism. You just take whatever you've got and you put some random shit in it. And, uh, if know, I was, if I was going to say, what is the, what is the drink of our single New York city guest so far? I would say probably a blueberry infused Cointreau. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I thought it would be a good uh, conversation piece. I figured, you know, you can see see like see the blueberries in it. It's it's aesthetically pleasing from a visual standpoint. Sickly sweet on my taste buds, but as long as it looks good. Have you ever had? I a guess there's pistachio, no video recording. Pistachio liqueur. No, there's no video. We just have to describe things like barbarians. Uh, uh, we have to use words. We have to word sell on this podcast. Well, the blueberries float in an appealing way, like, um, and then the color, there's a nice lavender color, if you can see. Like that, like that dog, like that, the, the biscuit in the dog food or in the, in the dog's bowl in, uh, uh the great Gatsby, you know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to bring, I'm trying to remember. bring this to a Does level here. Does the biscuit float appealingly? The, the great Does Gatsby, the that, was the, that was the green light. That, no, that was the green light. No, no, no. Well, we all know about the green light, but there's an appealingly aesthetic yeah. biscuit in a dog bowl well, in the Great Gatsby. I don't that, recall. Take me back. I think the biscuit, the biscuit is is decaying in the in the dog bowl water, the dog's water, and that is supposed uh, to be something about the passage of time or whatever. You know, every uh, yeah. <laughs> you know every uh, symbol in the Great Gatsby is like bashing you over the head with symbolism. Real good. Pool, you know, like high school. I Go gotta reread it. You know, I've re- reread it once since high school, and I liked it just as much. You know, I felt there's the it clock was, that uh, stops. I think just a clock stops. Yeah, yeah. You know? I remember the clock. I remember the green light. I remember. Don't the think books too deeply, with, uh, fellows. There's <laughs> the the giant pair of spectacles. I think overlooking everything is supposed to be God. I like the book with uh, uncut pages. You know, or no, they are cut. You know, when they're looking through Gatsby's bookshelf. Ah, uh, no, they are. They're uncut. No, I th- isn't that she says, oh, no, he's no, even no, because, had them cut. Because he knew. No, 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 no. I think they're uncut in that it's remarked that he knew where to stop. Because if he had cut them, then you can he could get called out on, okay, what's inside? Like, what did you, what's the contents? But, he, you know, he can at least have that little bit of honesty that he had not, you know, gone through the entire sort of, um, far, you know, farce. Oh, but I remember it is Google. quite the opposite. Wow. If That's only cool. there was some Google. way of uh, of answering this question. I might even have it. Do I have it on my bookshelf right there? Hold on. Uh, I guess this also isn't great for radio. No, I mean, no, we, we, I, we, we love to I throw in 10 minutes of... Yeah, we we love to throw in 10 minutes as, my as you thumb through. <laughs> <laughs> I got a face for radio and... Um, and, uh, yeah, and, uh, and perfect radio timing as well. And perfect radio timing. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Here's the quote. Here's the quote. Yeah. Oh no. Here we go. Uh, Let's hear it. Taking our skepticism for granted, he rushed to the bookcases and returned with volume one of the Stoddard lectures. See, he cried triumphantly. It's a bonafide piece of printed matter. It fooled me. This fellow's a regular Belasco. It's a triumph. What thoroughness, what realism knew when to stop too. didn't cut the pages. But what do you want? What do you expect? 
I stand corrected. Thank you, Andy. Oh my God. I'm so I'm so aroused right now. Are you aroused? This has been a beautiful podcast already. <laughs> we should probably just cut here. Uh, I've been owned. Um, we've discussed blueberry infused Cointreau. Yeah. Oh, this is exciting. Oh, we haven't gotten onto the U- to Ukraine yet, have we? Did you guys Ukraine? Do that yeah. I mean, it, that's I'm, happening. You know, yeah, there's been a vibe shift. <laughs> massive vibe vibe shift shift. (laughs) yeah Yeah. from last week big vibe shift that's true yeah um no go ahead sorry no i just want to you're are you the same age as us roughly or are you you're not z you you don't look like a z i don't know i'm so not z i'm i'm a young handsome man but i'm smack dab in the middle of the worst generation the millennials are we the worst yeah i think so I mean, well, no, I, I had this boomers. conversation in, yeah, oh yeah, we had this conversation on her, but um, yeah, I guess the boomers are the worst. I mean, I blame their, I blame their parents. Well, I exactly. Blame the so-called and that's, greatest generation, right? Yeah. The greatest generation all is the learned the helplessness and everything came, came from yeah. that. Yeah. We'll kill the Nazis for you or whatever. <laughs> um. Yeah, I was at a reading by the the great novelist Gary Indiana, who has chronicled um, the limits of degradation from the baby boomer generation, his generation. And he had an interesting thesis about about the baby boomers and, and the war, although I'm not going to really be able to summarize it, but just, you know, it existed. I think, you know, I don't know, like, did your... Did your um, did your ancestors have war trauma from World War Two? My, yeah, well, my 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 grandfather was a POW uh, for two and a half okay. years in Japan, but uh, you know he had the decency to to then go fight in Korea and then uh, die of cancer at a suitably young age that he didn't end up keeping somebody out, keeping some zillennial out of a job. Uh, yeah, holy moly! See, I, I, I think I mean, um, I my I had two two grandfathers, both in uh, the war, and one it was more like Mikhail's Navy. He was uh, going around Sicily, and nothing ever happened. You know, he was the third ranking officer on the ship. None of the officers had ever been on a boat before the war. And they just kind of didn't do anything. He would order dessert spoons for the, you know, his men and everything. But like the, um, until the Germans attacked and like blew the guy that was standing up, standing next to him away. And then they spent the rest of the war trying to get repaired and like it never worked because some actual ship needing to go to war would come to the berth right when they needed to. So he, he was pretty uneventful. But my other grandfather, um, was in China and really saw some shit. Um, and he also, because he, he was a medical pilot and to get, um, and I think they still do that. Like he was put on stimulants to be able to fly 24 hours or whatever. And then when you get back to base, he would, they would put him on downers and yeah, Jesus. then, so, so, so then he went to medical school and he became a doctor and became an addict because, you know, he had been kind of pushed onto it by these opiates or whatever. Um, but I think like for him, it was also as a 20, whatever year old 
from North Dakota uh, being sent off to war. And he, he won the Distinguished Flying Cross twice and would never do something so interesting and meaningful again. Mm. And that, that, that really crushed him. Um, and that's interesting was uh, just never able to get the same sort of respect even as like a doctor a prominent doctor um, back where he went to just was never able to do it and Walker Percy talks about this in some of his novels where it's like the guys that come back from um, the war and really have nothing to say anymore because at such a young age they had done the most important thing that they would for the rest of their lives and i think that um yeah like they 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 defeated hitler whatever tojo um but then you know they just wanted to cut loose like they just they just didn't live for anything and i think that's why they raised the boomers because they're out they're out at cocktail parties they're out at you know um drunk driving everything i mean it's just like um and of course this is like a very narrow like waspish group of people that i'm talking about you know drinking too um, much thinking too little as nixon put it in in the frost nixon tips yeah yeah exactly so that that's that's my my view that was uh the the character i think in the movie goer he was a he was in the war and then came back and and yes was it law i think anyway he 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 just made money. I think he, he was. He, he the he's, board. Uh, yeah. yeah, he he's a he's a he's a um a mutual fund salesman. Oh, right, right, right. Which so is like it was the kind most, of like like a banal sort of thing you can do. Right. Yeah, bringing it back to to the the horrible Great Gatsby. It's sort of that story over again, which is they came back and just did nothing of of merit and no, no offense to Andy who was in finance, but uh, <laughs> just, so so that's why yes. I said it's the most banal thing you can do, but. <laughs> So, so my father's father has I mean, not a similar story, but maybe a parallel story, which is he was heading to basic infantry training in South Carolina. And at some point, a man in a suit approached him and said, um, you know, switch trains and head west, soldier. Don't ask any questions. Don't say a word to anybody, no matter what they ask you. And then, you know, I don't know, somewhere... Somewhere flyover, he was, you know, asked a series of um, probing questions to which he successfully refused answer. And eventually he was directed to Los Alamos, where he was, um, you know, he uh, worked on the Manhattan Project. And uh, I think he kind of never forgave himself for it. It was a bit of like a Oppenheimer-ish thing. You know, I think that really weighed on him his entire life it's you know it's an incredible thing to have built not yeah. to bring the vibe well, down think, too much yeah yeah we'll, I we'll mean, get it back um okay okay thanks my father, i'll keep bringing my father, it down just to test your metal and I'll see you know see if you All can right. bring, bring it back up yeah we had my father on the show uh and it failed a failed recording but he he oh. said that uh, his time in Afghanistan was, um, d- despite the fact that he knew very well that it was a, a foolish thing for us to be doing, he still just wanted to be there and finish the mission, you know, whatever, even right. if the mission was incredibly stupid. And I think that 
when they sent him back home, he did a, a one-year tour there. Uh, when they sent him back home, he just wanted to go back because it wasn't over. Uh, right. To the chagrin of my mother. Because we were both in the military at the same time. So my mother was, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't conceive of this. But men just want to go fight wars, you know, I think. Yeah. No, I think that's correct. And if it can be an honorable war, that's good and well. But, you know, if you're talking about nuclear weapons and drones and stuff like that, I think the possibility for that ceases. Um, well, yeah, and my, Robert my Graves even said this about World War One. He was like, you know, yeah. that was when honorable wars ceased. And, you know, obviously he described how dishonorable he believed um, his troops' efforts to have been there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, as, as I said, my, my father had no illusions about the honor, how yeah. honorable what he was doing was, was he just wanted to finish the thing, you know, not yeah, leave it half, yeah. half done. But then, you know, we got to talk to him right after America lost the war. And uh, he had some very uh, un-PC things to say about the, the way the military has shifted over the past, say, 40 years since... He went. He actually joined. It's it's strange. He or not strange. He it's funny. He he joined in uh, 70, 1970, I think, or seventy two, okay. during Vietnam. Got was going to retire, and then um, uh, six months before his retirement, they called him to Afghanistan to go do to to go hang out there and do. He was a counterintelligence officer, so he got to got to go do counterintelligence. Good fun. Is is your father still with us? Uh, he is in He's Georgia. To us if you want to call he that, didn't. <laughs> well, he didn't record <laughs> wait, that. Wait, what's the non-joke? He's still alive. <laughs> he He's is indeed still alive. alive. Just is, happens to be he, in Georgia. Does he have? Does he share with you a literary bent? Um, this is this is funny. My I didn't know that there was a literary bent in my family. I didn't know that we were writers. My father, uh, he would. He would write little poems when he was out digging holes in the ground uh, about okay. sweet tea or whatever. No, he's not. Okay. But the, it's, it's very funny because because uh, my grandfather was uh, a Princeton graduate and his PhD was in English. He became the headmaster of a uh, of a college in new mexico after his wife uh, contracted tuberculosis they had to move to move to new mexico you know for the for the weather and um i you know my the, the rest of my family and I, I had no idea about this until i was until i started looking into my family but you know there's pictures of like my cousins hanging you know taking pictures like uh, uh pictures with robert frost like robert frost would just hang out at my family's house and i had no idea because we grew robert up robert frost grew loved up, to hang yeah, I mean, he loved it. He lo he would get some blueberry Cointreau and just <laughs> yeah. hang out. He'd drink it at anything. Oh, yeah, sure. He, you know, <laughs> he'd pick the blueberries, obviously. Um, you know, what was the story where, like, Archibald MacLeish, whom he hated because MacLeish also wrote a play about the Book of Job? And I think, I can't remember what it was Frost projected at him during the course of his poetry reading. I don't remember whether it was spit itself or spitballs or loogies, but some something produced by the body, Frost felt it good and right to project it for Archibald MacLeish over the course of his poetry reading. 
I love it. That that reminds me <laughs> of um, <laughs> that's my story. <laughs> no, you reminded me. You reminded me of uh, literary feuds now, and the 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 one that you just reminded me of is the one. I think it was Hemingway and um, uh, Thirteen Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. Um, or yeah, uh, well, Stevens. Stevens, yeah, I think it was Hemingway and Stevens used yeah. to used to get into fights down in um, Havana or maybe Southern Florida, and yeah, one day I, 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 I it, Stevens was the older of the two, wasn't he? I think that's right. And one day Hemingway clocked him, uh, put him on his ass because he he made Hemingway angry, and then who was it? Was it Stevens who ended up dying of? Of swallowing a toothpick, or is have I got my writer wrong there? You know what I'm talking about. That I do not know. No, no. I, some somebody. I'm. I can promise you, somebody will get into the group. They won't say anything all week, and then just having heard that, they'll come in to correct me about what a fucking moron yeah. I am. But I'm glad you I, brought up literary feuds because I want to bring that back with the Mars review of books. You know, like. New York Review of Books in its early days was all about the feuds, you know, Mary McCarthy, Norman Mailer, Edmund Wilson, Vladimir Nabokov ended their glorious um, 40-year bromance in the pages of the New York Review of Books. So, you know, it'd be nice to have a little bit more of that, I think. And I think I mean, that comes with just like, yeah. But it's not a CIA op like the Paris, the Paris Review. Well, I can't really talk about that. I mean, you know, uh, Grandpa was at I mean, Los Alamos. I don't know. Grandpa was at Los Alamos. I don't know. Is Urban a CIA off? Clearly, pretty clearly. <laughs> uh, so I yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. What did you hear? I didn't hear anything. But yeah, I mean, listen. CIA, yeah, Paris Review, New York Review of Books, ABEX. I mean, they, you know, what what can you say? It's uh Well, I can ask you the it, question, is is modern art just an just an op? Is it just an op to from the decadent west to destroy communism? Well, I think it's the opposite. Con- contemporary I, contemporary art. Well, I mean, I, th- I think it's yeah, an op to pr- it was an op to prove the cultural supremacy of the United States over the Soviet Union, wasn't it? I mean, I, know, the, I mean, which seems so crazy now because we look at ABEX as this like weird period when people were like pissing on paintings and like everyone loved it, and we're like, how did that happen? But it was just it was new. And it seemed like the best art possible because art is always something of a confidence game. I guess if if your competition is like Soviet realism, you can piss on a painting. I don't know. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, objectively, how, like, right. Like, yeah, Soviet realism seems very corny, but like, how do we, you know, this is, that unanswerable question, which is how do you how do you even think about the question of objective criteria for a work of art? You know, I I have always just gone with whatever I think is good. Is yeah, good. same, same. But my my taste is impeccable. I tell that to people, and if they don't agree, then they're a barbarian. And where did your taste come from? 
you know, I just I, basically is it intrinsic everything... to you, or is it? Or, are are you formed one... by the society Here's... around you, Josh? I, well, I'll, this is my admission. This is my. I, I think that we all have these these things. I found two people that I'm very sure have good taste. Okay. Uh, William Gass and Paul Valerie, and yeah. everybody that they read wrote about. I just decided was good. That's, yeah, I did that that's with true. Nabokov. Yeah. Right, and Nabokov will be another will be another good example. But you know, you have to have your like one or two horses, right? So my my and if I had to throw another one in, it would probably be Rilke. But but the ones who were writing about literature, who from whom I could steal a whole body, basically an entire corpus, were William Gass and and uh, Paul Valery. So, and but but the thing is, I I can you know like I had a friend. Uh, I have a friend who's a physicist and he said, I don't believe you can actually do this. I don't believe that you can actually tell me who the best writer out of three good writers is. And so he, right. or three professional writers. Yeah. And we did this at a party when we were all drinking. He read three passages and I didn't know who they were from, but he read three, three passages and asked me to, to choose the best of them. And nobody else at the party thought, uh, thought that this was going to be possible. Um, but I picked out the one that I thought was was clearly the the best written one, and it turned out that it was the Hemingway, and the other two were some obscure nobodies. Hemingway knockoffs. Yeah, that's heartening. I mean, there are definitely things that people who read a lot of imaginative literature pick up on that other people don't pick up on. Prose rhythm, you know, like things that just make prose mellifluous, you know, variation of vowel sounds within prose, which yep. is something, you know, a poet will think about, yep. but often a writer of prose will think nothing about. The great Russian writer, Sergei Devlatov, who was sort of like a Russian follower of Hemingway, you could say. He was a third wave emigre. He got, he uh, escaped from the Soviet Union in 89 or so, I believe. But he just made a rule for himself that he would never start a sentence with the same letter with which he had ended the previous sentence because he found that ugly. Now, yeah, I don't I know if I would pick that up on my own just reading his prose, but that sort of thing does come through. And I suppose that's because there actually is an objectively transcendent reality to which our artistic endeavors are meant to approximate. But, you know, that's a hard thesis to defend in any sort of uh, rational argument. Well, there's there's uh, since since I've already brought up William Gass and, and we're yeah. on that, he he yeah. had a Let's there was a competition with a with like a panel of great writers. Like if I, I don't know, I don't remember who it was, but if I drop the names, I think I think we, we would all know them. But uh, I think that they were in. Well, I'm sure they were in a Scandinavian country. I'm not sure which one it was. Probably Finland because the because the language is sufficiently different. And what they did was they had a competition where they, they had everybody on the panel. These were famous writers. And they translated or they had the translations of their work into Finnish, which none of them spoke or even a remotely close Right. It's not even Indo-European. Yeah. Right, right, right. So none of the writers spoke the language. So it was a fair, fairly fair competition. And uh, it was just a translation into of their own work into that language. And what they had to do was choose which one of the translations was their work, basically. And he won that competition because he said, uh, and well, his reasoning was, you, you can just hear, you know, the things that I've done 
let's say melodically or my my um aural uh yeah yeah i thought i say the 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 tools or whatever that he uses you know the the effects that he uses he could hear them even in translation so clearly there's i mean we know there's something there but people who people who don't really read will then you know or who don't read well or read literature they don't get it and you're always having to i always explain it this way which is that i i don't necessarily know but you can also i mean everyone trusts a guy who a horse expert, right? They just trust him, even though he can't explain to you, you know, how he knows what he's looking. He's looking at the total horse flesh, right? If I met a horse talk- expert, I'm not sure I would trust him. Well, I'm mean, saying the, the guy can probably talk about teeth or good hooves yeah, yeah, or whatever, yeah. but what he's yeah. really doing is taking in the total effect to compare one horse to another. And I mean, it's the same with same with me when I'm say comparing, I don't know, William Gass to. Uh, what's his name dan brown right yeah you know. although gas is a funny one because he liked some out there stuff too like i think he thought gertrude stein's the making of americans was a great oh, yeah. book yeah he thought everything I mean, from her was great he uh yeah uh i mean tinder buttons all that stuff but but mm-hmm. uh have you tried yeah, the making I, of americans i could i i mean i was i was out the door pretty there's quick. a I think you got to make it to the middle of it, man, because there's this, there's okay. a kind of, okay. there's a, there's a Volta in the, in, a, about 30 pages in. Uh, oh. I, I'm, so I oh. don't know. I mean, you know, it, you, you got to, I guess people also have to realize that there's, there's brilliance. And then there's also the fact that it comes out of the mind of a specific person. So um, I can't necessarily uh, recommend to a young man that he, he read Anias, you know, Mm. It's not probably not good for for his moral fiber. Yeah, moral fiber or mental health. I don't know. I mean, because what you're reading is a woman who's an absolute degenerate. You know, uh, right? So but we could say the same of Joyce in many ways. Oh yeah, and yeah, we, and we'd we'd recommend him, that wouldn't guy. we? Yeah. What about? I mean, Henry Miller. Yeah. Uh, okay, so clearly what I'm doing is just being sexist. <laughs> As long as we've established that, I'm comfortable moving forward. Maybe young men shouldn't read crazy women. women. Yeah, crazy crazy men's okay. I don't know. Well, here, but where's the line then? I mean, is it is it is it uh, Dickinson? Is it Plath? Well, I love Dickinson at all. I I think that's fine. I would read it. I I guess read it all, but uh, I, you know. I'm I'm not the one to to like tell you when you should read a thing, but I do think it's probably better if a man of forty picks up Anias, reads a few pages of it, and goes, "Okay, this is pretty well written." But uh, you have the I think that you have the wherewithal at forty to just say, "Okay, this is complete nonsense." But at eighteen, you realize that you can use this stuff to pick up women, and then it becomes mm-hmm. it, it becomes sort of ingrained in your ideology i mean i think that was i think that was a real problem that i had when i was young which is that i would read these women that women liked you know so Mm -hmm. that i could pick up women but i didn't Mm -hmm. know i was doing it to pick up women it was i was reading it and quoting it because it worked but i didn't know that you know i didn't know that's what i was doing yeah so it becomes it kind of becomes part of your worldview and that's maybe yeah it's so funny how that works isn't it yeah you yeah I had it's like a similar thing where like I got that book Dangerous Liaisons, you know, when I was I guess right. like eighteen or something, yeah. and some clever blurber was like, 
this is the only book for which it is necessary to write not to be used in practice. Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing, but you get the idea, right? Like, you know, don't take the lessons of this book literally. Yeah. And so then I was like, oh, obviously I need to take the lessons of this book literally. Right. And it, for those purposes, it works fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I did pick it up again, and I wasn't quite as impressed by it as a work of literature as I did was you, at the Did time. you read it in, in French? Or in no, 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 no. No. Nope. Uh, I mean, I had that. I had that similar experience, uh, the young man, old man experience, where Nietzsche was exciting when I was both when I was eighteen and now, but not in between. You know, mm, and that might have, that might have been that might have been because Nietzsche is not useful when you're a leftist. Uh, I mean, well, Some I don't mean leftist, but you know, I went. Yeah. Well, I went to college, is what I'm saying. Uh, I didn't mean to really <laughs> say leftist, I, but. but I went from small yeah, no, town I to college. I know, then, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so like that's less useful. Um, who else is less useful? Uh, like any, I don't know, like a, like German jurisprudence is probably not so useful. Uh, and so it's not exciting until you're, you know. I mean, Andy was always reading it, but. Mm. Although, you know, like Carl Schmidt is hot with Marxists. Yeah, I was not going to say the name because I didn't, I didn't want to take him. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing about having to... me on the podcast. I'm no, just I don't gonna, care. Yeah. We're, we're going to do it. Yeah. No, Schmidt, Schmidt is big. <laughs> uh, Schmidt is a big deal. Schmidt is a big deal in China. Um, really? Am among the, the like actual like decision make, you know, political theorists. And there, I mean, there is there is an, an organ of the state of political theory Um that uh no he, he definitely informs a lot of um stuff here uh that would be a great piece for the mars review of books do you want to write that andy um let me give it some thought the, okay. the i i think there's there's a uh but there's a good youtube that i'll i'll send you is there's a guy at a university here in hong kong who who um gave a talk on it so if okay. i were to do it i would just kind of probably crib a lot of what he's that's okay um, done but yeah i think the like the the school of american philosophical realism is also really big in in china and hasn't hasn't been in america i don't think anybody studied it for like what 50 60 years but in america you know this i'm actually not i'm not sure i know what philosophical realism means in this context well i'm i guess or who, uh, who are the realists in this in this context, it would be well. Don't 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 put me on the spot, man. I'm I'm okay. I'm sorry. In no, no, no. I, like it's not the <laughs> just, sim, similar to pragmatism. I'm sorry. Dewey yeah, and, pragmatism. Yeah. I don't know why I said realism. Oh, yeah. yeah, American pragmatism. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean that's big in China as well, and um, it hasn't been forever. But that's interesting. Yeah, they're studying the pragmatists. Yeah. Love me some uh, William James. William James. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, right. Hasn't when's the last time that was in vogue in America? But it's it's big in China. Yeah, been a while. So the, the Mars, so the Mars review uh, will yeah. be you commissioning or whatever, um, just kind of just trying to get interesting, cool stuff written. Yeah, basically. I mean, you know, it's just going to be a magazine that will exist in print and on orbit. <laughs> Excuse me, I need some more control. <laughs> Um, that I got to the end of the nicotine pill and you know, that moment 
Um, you know, it gives you dry mouth. Um, yeah, it's just going to be a magazine in print and on Urbit. And, like, you know, the aim is for, like, about half of the contributors to be Urbit people and then half of the contributors to be New York literary people seeking higher ground as the legacy magazines race to the bottom. And then kind of, like, smash those two worlds together, see if anything interesting comes out of that. Um, you know, the look and feel of the physical magazine is going to be quite similar to the New York Review of Books. The early New York Review of Books is very inspiring to me. I think those early issues are really, are really something else. And, um, in some ways, like, there's a similar genesis. Like, the New York Review of Books came out of a, piece by the great Elizabeth Hardwick in Harper's bemoaning the decline of book reviewing and saying that everything that came out in the New York Times book review was ridiculous pablum and back padding and faint praise and just complete bullshit. I don't know. If, can I swear on the stack? What are the yeah. FCC? Yeah. Okay. Um, you can't not swear. That's okay. Um, and, and then there was a newspaper strike and then, you know, Bob Silver's and uh Jason Epstein and his then-wife Barbara Epstein, who became the co-editor of the New York Review of Books, and Robert Lowell and um Elizabeth Hardwick were all, you know, having dinner. And they were like, oh, why don't we just, like, actually do our own book review and, um you know, show these guys how it's done. And Bob Silver's left his job at Harper's and everybody assumed that it would be a complete failure. And then it just ran successfully for 50 years or so. Um, obviously, it's a different time. And the big advantage they had, which was feeling free that they could publish anything they want, is something anybody now can do anywhere on Urbit, on the legacy internet, on Substack. But I think there's still... I go back and forth on this, but I think there is still some great advantage to curation and to editing so you know that's my thesis really that's yeah. that word that word does come up a lot around urban not just not just curation with the review. yeah curation yeah um, mainly because everything is algorithmic and yeah you've just you know i guess maybe bought uh curation is no good or you're you've also got like information overload uh, yeah. And, well, on Urbit anyway, the the problem is that there's no there, there's there's low discovery, which is the way that we want it to be. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to have another method, and the method so far is curation. Um, you know, you've got like Dacus Dacus Tiprell's. Uh-huh. I love his feed. I don't know if you. Yeah, yeah, um, I like that too. Yeah, you're smiling. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> No, I'm smiling at the pronunciation because I know you want to say Dachos, but I appreciate that you're keeping it canonical and like separating that uh, consonant cluster. Yeah. Well, I think I said, I think I said Wickdev Wisrit on the podcast, which is not right at all. It's Wickdev Wisrite, I think. Wisrite. So I don't know know how to, uh, I don't don't know how to pronounce them all either, but yeah, I'm trying, doing my best. Well, the Y, if if it's a Y, you have to pronounce it long I, right? That's the idea. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, it, it's, it seems like it's worth doing because, like, if somebody is remem- remembering their master key or something, or, like, you know, if there's some time when the transfer of a great amount of money depends on that, and you're, like, right. in a bunker and you're speaking it to right. some other person, you want some yeah, canonical You're with Zelensky in the, bu- in the bunker with trying who? to remember how- Zelensky. Oh, the, yeah, 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 exactly. The Ukrainian president. A beautiful callback. Yeah. Um, has are 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 folks in in the Ukraine doing okay? Do you hear our our friends? Yeah, like, as, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I heard like twenty four hours ago. I was I was I knew what yeah. was going on. But the I've one been, who's there, the one who's there right now. I'm not going to say yeah. any names, but uh, yeah. we do we do have a friend, a mutual friend, who's I guess living in the subway right now, going back to, back and forth to his apartment to charge up his phone, and then hanging out in the subway. Which That's is so incredibly must- romantic. <laughs> yeah. It's so beautiful. I love that. It's like, <laughs> but these yeah. subway, these subways. This is not like the um, the seven line or something. Like these were built. <laughs> these were built to withstand nuclear blasts. So I think um, it it is actually a good sound place to be. Yeah, it's probably a more convivial atmosphere in the subway. And you're not going to get a hammer to your the head. Subway in New York. Yeah. I, yeah, I just think it's very it's just head. very Gen Z that he's running back to his apartment every few hours like that two minute run like he's yeah. doing some calc- some calculus charge, in his head ch- charge up the vape right, right. <laughs> yeah. the, the Uber the Uber Eats is going to be dropped <laughs> off there <laughs> God, I, yeah. I hope he's all right I hope he's all right now now that we've joked about his <laughs> yeah me too yeah as a press time. As, As a press, press time, time yeah. we're all gonna feel pretty stupid if not. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have yeah, to write a, le- mean, a letter to his mom. Yeah, <sighs> but okay. Yeah, the other thing I want to say about the Mars Review of Books is just like I don't like. There's some people I talk to Urban about in New York, and or like I talk about like operating systems in general, and their eyes kind of glaze over, and they're like, "Whatever, like this is like a you know." low status to be sort of thinking about this sort of thing and they're still stuck in that paradigm and then there are others i'd say it's like 50 50 like really interested and like really want to like dig deeper into this shit and sort of like um assimilate like these ideas about the influence technology has had over our lives and what can be done about it into a coherent worldview and i would just like really love to see that happening more generally and so i'm hoping that like yeah that the mars review can sort of do that you know like to combine stylish uh literary aesthetics with sound sense making how how um I don't, and I don't know a whole lot about this this world. But um, originally it was Medium, and then now Substack seems to be bigger. Yeah. Um, has has that been good for creating good stuff, or what? Uh, I think Substack has been good. Um. I mean, I've found a couple of substacks that I liked. I think, I don't know. It's um, it's so chaotic right now. It's a real clusterfuck. Like, 
I think there are some good substacks. There are a lot of bad substacks. I think it's obviously it's good. Ninety percent of everything is crap. Yeah, ninety percent right? of everything is shit. I think it's obviously good that people are able to expose ideas and make money without going through legacy institutions. Like I think that's you know a clear good, but like yeah, I think a lot of people like I. But on the other hand, yeah, it's nice to have an editor. It's nice to have somebody who like isn't you who knows your strengths and can, you know, and then who's like putting you into a larger conversation. And like, I don't want to be too highfalutin about that because obviously like that happens a little bit organically, right? People cluster around each other on Twitter and you have these like Twitter crews who have their emojis. But... It's weird how, like, this is just what we were talking about before. It's weird how much of what's perceived as good is based on vibe and is, like, sort of based on a confidence game, right? Like, it's, it's a strong horse and weak horse thing. What does that mean? Well, like Osama bin Laden said, you'll back the strong horse, the weak horse. Like, there's mimetic... Um, mm just you know things will kind of compound on themselves everybody likes success right yeah i guess that's a big part of it right it's like yeah social like, proof yeah yeah social proof like why did the this. paris review get right. big well they got the big people to do stories and poems and interviews in the first one and then you get a positive feedback cycle where more people want to do it because more of the previous cool people did it and then it becomes like you know the Paris Review is the canonical place to find good new fiction and to and if you're interviewed in the Paris Review, then you've been accepted into the canon. And that's like that's fake, but it's also real. Yeah, what was it? That that um that infamous blogger known as Mincius he said that uh, you know, if you huh? want to start <clears throat> I don't know. A guy. <laughs> <laughs> no guy. guy. Yeah, he was yeah. saying. He was saying. You know, the first thing that you have to do when you're ready to replace any elite is you have to mog. Meaning, yeah. I mean, in in art, not he. You know, it wasn't weapons or anything else. It was you know mogging, mogging with art, right? So yeah, you, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. Go, sorry. No, no, no. I mean, that, that's pretty much it. Like, if you're replacing whatever the whatever the decadent former elite is. You know, you have to do it first with by, by mogging in art literature. I think that's so true, but I think the crazy part of it is, is like you can't mog propagandistically, right? Like you can't, hmm. you can't actually, you can't mog by trying to replace. You can't mog with values. You can only mog with like um, with. Right, like this is why the CIA was funding ABEX. It wasn't because like de Kooning, de Kooning's work itself projected American values. I mean, maybe right. in some very oblique way it did, but it was because de Kooning's work better tapped into the zeitgeist or created the zeitgeist. And that was something quite separate from, um, from whatever values the CIA was trying to instantiate. Also, I'm not like, 
I think the CIA funded ABEX. I've heard that, but I don't. I don't have receipts. Oh well, just we to be clear, camp I think we, for the, we, for, we for won't the do our just whatever. I mean, it, yeah, let's just say they did because I think it's right. true. Yeah, I don't think we have any like we don't need to have any journalistic integrity. Uh, journalists don't, so why should we? Fact checkers say. Yeah, I mean, it has been said. It has been said on the stack. Made every penny himself. Yeah. Yeah, I. You know, you're right. You you have to you have to like have be able to win the artistic argument, which is why I guess you know sometimes it's a zeitgeist thing, and you can uh, piss on a painting or whatever. But sometimes I don't know. Sometimes it's also a a an actual ability thing. Uh, yeah, which goes back to the argument that you have to like be able to convince people that your your work is actually superior objectively, and you know, you yeah, gotta get cool, sort you of gotta like, get cool people, cool people doing it for sure. So yeah, it's, well, it's, it's sort of it's sort of like what Teal says about sales in zero to one, right? Like you have to be like much better than your competitor, but. Like, that's not good enough. You also have to convince everyone else that you're much better than your competitor. And actually, you have to put a lot more thinking into that convincing than you think you have to. Yeah, I think it's actually um, a a major hazard. And I I find this a lot just at the very micro level. Um, Can't say mentoring, but just like giving advice to people career-wise and everything. But like... There is so much um, belief, and we can diagnose why for a lot of reasons, but that, um, oh, I just have to be right, and that's enough, for, or I just have to be kind of um, good, and that's enough, and yeah. there is no, no, you, you really, you have to persuade, and that's why I tell people in their careers, I say, um, no matter what, if you want to do anything, you have to be a salesman. And I, I know that that uh, violates your sensibilities and everything. But, totally. Um, the, the fact is, is you, you have to persuade people. You have to not just be right. You have to convince people that you, you are um, and why they should change their behavior for that reason. And I think that there's a part of it that us that just reacts against it. Um, or certainly I do, where it's just like, no, like I should just, people should just know whatever um but uh yeah yeah i actually i wanted to ask you guys like what do you think like so i've just started using twitter literally for the first time in order to shield the mars review of books and it's exactly that it's like you have to play this game that's uh like you kind of feel like this isn't where it's at it's filthy right but it's so necessary um at least right now, in, in, in 2022, in this moment. And, you know, hopefully it won't be in the future. Yeah. I, I do the I do the stack Twitter and we've, yeah. I don't know, we've, we've got less than a thousand followers on Twitter, which is, I, you know, but they're the, I see those but pound SEO pound, things. Like, those are great followers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the best, best, best followers by weight. Um, <laughs> by but, far uh, the most obese followers yeah. of any twitter account yeah by far um 
Yeah, but you know, like some, and and this is not to 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 knock him by any means. He he does a lot better job uh, of this, but uh, rather to praise him. But you know, our friend Jonathan, he's he's a relentless self promoter, and I don't think that For he sure. would take that remotely as a as a as a uh, slight because that's what he does. Yeah. It's his job, right? I just don't have it. Like I don't have it in me to do the self promotion, you know, or, or the us promotion every day. That surprises me because I found that you were very good at Twitter. Uh, am I? I, I make jokes sometimes. But sometimes, think how much be- better he would be if he liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like I don't like podcasting either. Uh, I think that podcasting is no, a stop. form. No, really. No, the conversation like this is a great conversation. I mean, this is a fun conversation, right, for us. And people clearly like to listen to conversations. I don't. I don't like in. I don't like enjoy listening to other people have conversations. I love a scripted really? podcast. Yeah, because no, and this is not a knock on those people because some people just like to like do the dishes or whatever and have you know feel like they're part of a thing. And I get that. That's me. Okay. Yeah. There you go. But. But for me, I don't like the I don't like the comment, and I would never listen to this. Like I would never listen to <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, but that's that's precisely why I started doing the you know jokey intros that are getting longer and more sort of pronounced. Uh, yeah, because I like I like scripted podcasts. I love them I'm, because you know somebody's taking a bit of effort and the. So the information, like here's, I mean, here's an example. When I'm talking to you guys, uh, you know, I have a, a, a momentary lapse and I say American realism when I mean American pragmatism. And to me, this mm-hmm. is just a, like, I could have edited that in advance and the information level, you know, for my hour or whatever spent is much higher because I've condensed and worked it out and blah, blah, blah. Right. And uh, so that's why, anyway, that's why like there's more front matter than there used to be, um, and I think it's getting I think it's getting more professional. But to me, that's that's so inorganic. I mean, like I I like the messiness of life and just communication and back and forth, and somebody like just psyoping me with some prepackaged whatever. I, I I don't get anything from that at all. But you know, I have to do an edit after you start. If after you go on a long spiel about the Nazis and how Carl Schmidt is your, you know, I have to. In I have fairness, to I brought up Carl Schmidt. Well, you know, but Andy's just—I mean, the guy is just relentless about Hitler. I mean, <laughs> this is turning into like a Norm Macdonald bit. <laughs> do you guys? Do you guys watch the Norm Macdonald podcast? That's those an were, example those of a great, great podcast. I think they're but that's gone. A comedian. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, he, he, he was, um, uh, and I actually I was going to bring him up because before, like, one of his things. Um, that he did seem to legitimately take seriously but was that there is objectively good comedy and that this idea uh because people would say oh no it's just like i find what's funny to me and he's like no there are things that are actually funny um and yeah i know what you're talking about but importantly in that clip he's distinguishing comedy from art he's saying comedy is not art because there mm. absolutely is an objective criterion by which you can determine whether it's good comedy or not, and that's whether or not people laugh. Uh, well, then he didn't know anything, did he? Fuck Norm Macdonald. <laughs> right. 
but it's yeah but but that's like one of those things where like comedy is kind of under assault right because you have things like the um nanette or that's like actually put up as comedy because it's not funny yeah, um, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah i haven't it. seen it i've only heard people trash it but yeah, yeah. right isn't that um, what they call it? It's called yeah, clapter now when the audience is just clapping because you've made some some point. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, nothing I mean, and that... There's sort of... Yeah. Go ahead. No, sorry. There's some sort of divine retribute. There was the woman recently who came up and was trying to do something like that and talking about how, how vaccinated she was and then she dropped. <laughs> she stroked out <laughs> at that moment. You can find it on, on YouTube. So. Uh, but to, to play devil's advocate a bit, like oh, comedy itself and the clapping thing, right? Like comedy always depends on like an Overton window, right? Of, you know, it all, it depends on being like right on the sill of the Overton window. So like, yeah. there's always an element of saying thing. Like if you said, said something that was completely unacceptable to your audience, whether it was in the fifties or today, that could not have been comedy. So like, of, of course it's ridiculous when you have these like late night talk show hosts, just like spouting the party line with some minimum attempt at a joke and everyone claps and then, you know, take some Xanax and fall asleep. But on the other hand, like it has always depended on giving people kind of what they want, just maybe like a little bit further than what they would have known that they wanted, you know? There's a there's a book by uh, Jimmy Carr, which I don't know the name of, but the, the British comedian Jimmy Carr, he wrote a book about what makes people laugh or what makes a joke, right? And oh. uh, it turns out, I guess he actually did a lot of very serious research for this book um and then or or you know just went through what went, went through the things that really made people laugh who knows but uh his he said that the thing that it ended up being very simple in the thesis of his book you know he could have just written it down on a piece of paper which was that <laughs> to make people laugh you just have to lead them down one way so that they're expect when they get down to the end of the joke to the punchline they're expecting something and then you give them another possibility that also works so right. they're led down to the end and right. they're thinking, okay, he's going to say horse. And you end up saying something else that fits, but is uh, abstract or bizarre in that situation, I guess, whatever. And that. Right. But it has like, to be every, something every kind of is, similar. Right. 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 Every joke is basically structured to set people up to with one expectation and then subverting that expectation with something else. And that's what makes people laugh. Apparently. I don't know. Uh, which you know I, which that, I'm saying kind of fits with your like in 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 this case what happens is you know people are inside this Overton window and they're expecting the party line or whatever and then what you actually yeah. do is subvert it with you know actually women should be in the kitchen or whatever right well and what's interesting but what's interesting to me is it like right it has to be something kind of like horse it has to be donkey it can't be viscousness right, <laughs> right like right, there's right. that like spect or viscosity there's that spectrum like and if you get too far away from horse you're at absurdism and then right. it's not really comedy it's like da da but some or, people like that or like Scandinavian eric andre comedy. or eric. <laughs> i wasn't aware of such a thing <laughs> yeah they like they like to like put, put put socks on their hands and whatever i don't know 
Um, and yeah, and if it's too similar, then it's like, or it's too expected, it's not funny. And it's also similar to how you might think about plot, right? It's like, it has to be something believable, but unexpected. If you're going to write a good plot. Yeah. 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 With, with solid are you, everything. Are you looking for a balance between fiction and nonfiction? Oh, in the Mars Review? No, it's going to be purely yeah. nonfiction. Okay. We should yeah. tell people that's what this sh- podcast is about, the, the Mars Review. <laughs> I don't think yeah. we have a... <laughs> um, because you think that fiction is, all, is, is done well elsewhere, or why, mm. why give that a birth? I just don't really want to do it. I mean, I have been a fiction writer... Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, the, okay. Like the simple answer is just like, I want to be like the New York review of books and the New York review of books didn't have any fiction. Right. It just yeah. had reviews and poetry and cartoons. I'm on the fence about doing poetry. Like if somebody bowled me over, I would maybe want to do poetry, but we are going to have cartoons. I have a very talented artist who's going to do those. Um, but I don't know, the more, the longer answer would be that, like, even though I love literary fiction as much as I love any form, I'm not really sure how how fiction is going to exist today. Like, because I think the point of fiction is to take, like historical and technological and social advances and historical and technological and social new phenomena and assimilate those into some kind of numinous worldview. And I think like the world is kind of moving too fast for people to do that in long form fiction and thus like memes and stuff have taken the place of that. I don't know. I would love to be wrong about that, but does it, did that make sense? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I certainly don't have time to sit down and read a three-page short story anymore. Right. And I mean, I guess that's always been the case is that, like, great literary works are for people who have the leisure to read them. But I think it's, like, it's even harder to write a great literary work because to assimilate something new and important. It's like, uh, by the time you've done that, it's already passed. Yeah. Like to give well, the, the, the next, the next great novel will be a tweet storm, not a novel. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it is already. I mean, we're, yeah, maybe it is already. Yeah. I don't want to oversell this guy, but just to give an example, uh, zero HP, I don't want to undersell him either. I just, but I mean, he, <laughs> he uh, apparently he wrote what was it? God shaped hole, I think it was called, on his phone because he wanted to he wanted to write it in the format that his readers would be reading it, and so he was like wandering around just writing writing this whole long I don't know it's quite long I think short story, and that's why I, you know it has the emojis and things anyway. But yeah, that was his point, right? Yeah, to my shame, I haven't read any of his longer work, so I've really got to do that. Maybe, you know, he himself has single-handedly invalidated my thesis. 
he's good a good storyteller his writing is yeah. tight um i have i have some beef uh so my criticism of him would be that it's not latin it um it's not written for the <clears throat> ear uh, but he's writing you know he's writing something other people aren't writing uh, he's, he's not some, writing for you old man he's not writing for me that's for sure uh, I've gotta, I gotta I gotta have constant like alliteration and stuff like that but alliteration is not cool anymore uh, but I are also you guys hear, familiar with sorry I just have to say I have to I have to hear the I have to hear the Latin you know in my in my English or whatever or the French are you guys familiar with the great New York writer Tao Lin no. No. Okay. To me, he was the person who, like, actually assimilated the new into the literary world most deftly. Um, like, it feels like it was written by somebody on Vivance, and it almost certainly was. It's, like, very emotionless and extremely detailed and affectless um but it has that same quality of not really being written for oral a-u-r-a-l pleasure yeah i i have a i i'm like constantly rewriting my manifesto and it's still it's still not there but one of the things that i put in there is we I think I think that there's a lot of reasons that English has has drifted. One is that we used to actually read out aloud up up until up until the television took over from the radio. You would you would have uh, basically an, an oral. Um, we should really get another. We need another word. Uh, but you, <laughs> yeah. you know that was that was. The, the, let's just go with auditory. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. That works. Okay. So you, yeah. So you know you would have you would you would have either readings in your in your drawing room or you would be listening to to English on the radio. But another thing that was happening that that wasn't happening at that time was that we were not writing English for Chinese people or you know the Indian subcontinent or uh, whatever. So. There's a couple of bad things, bad things in my, or maybe three bad things in my mind, which is that we we switched to the television, which is a is to be honest a totally visual medium that also has to have a story, and we MFAs. Forgive me, Noah. I don't know. I think you and I, I like we had a laugh, laugh about no, this, which is you said no, we you covered said, this. You won't you won't hurt my feelings by insulting MFAs. Although I think like. Often criticisms of MFAs do miss the mark slightly, but there's you know whatever. Like, My, if I gave them praise, to, there's plenty to insult about MFAs. Yeah, if I gave them praise, it would be that you end up generally with tightly written stuff. Like if that's my praise, yeah. um, the the criticism would be that it sounds the same. Um, but that's that's uh, also. You know that that's like one place in academia uh, becoming every place in academia. So, for instance, you know, I'm 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 getting the same ideas and the same sound out of you know, let's say Iowa, uh, Iowa that I am getting out of New York, right? Uh, which is sad. I mean, New York and Iowa should have a different sound, but it's the same sort of like it's the same roughly elite 
people getting into, you know, and retransmitting the same sound and ideas. So there's that. And then there's also the fact that at least in the latter days, we're, we're doing all of our writing now for China, you know, to buy our stuff. So like t movies now are just <laughs> written for the Chinese audience. So, and, you know, like the, the very, we can't have really high, uh, you know, like haute couture television shows because it doesn't translate translate well into Chinese. And so you have mm -hmm. to, like the most, I think well, probably one of the most um, popular television shows in China is, what is it? The two girl, uh, two girls, one cup. No, that's not right. One um, cup. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, the, no, it's no, the, no, about no, the two no, girls no, in the no, diner no. Uh, with Kat Denning or whatever. I don't, I don't know it, but it, that's uh, like the most. Is it two broke girls? Yeah, that one. There, there you go. Well, so that's really like, like. Yeah, I'm uh, aware of that. Big, yeah. Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Friend. Theory. I mean, it's basically Friends. the lowest common denominator. Right, right, right. Easy, but easy Friends would have been written more for degenerate Americans that just incidentally became popular in China. Whereas, like now, yeah, it's like if this does not um, test well for China and Chinese, you can't get it. You can't get a budget. Hmm. Um, I think that's more of a problem for t for 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 movies yeah, than right. for um, or for kino than for. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> And he's making fun of me because I didn't know what Kino was yesterday. Kino? I, so, somebody used the word Kino on me. Uh, Kino, Kino is Kino is Chan speak. Kino is Chan speak for movies. The highest quality movie is Kino, right? And, and Josh didn't know that. I didn't know it. Well, yeah, I mean, but again, like this, it then is ironically applied to everything to everything like the, yeah so um, somebody was asking me for like you yeah. know war war crime videos <laughs> I'm like all right man i'll i'll go i'll only get you the from highest from quality Ukraine. war crime videos as i'm as i'm looking for <laughs> uh, well actually it probably is going full circle because i imagine that comes from um like the great early russian filmmakers like ziga vertov who had a film that, kino glas that which is, means cine eye yeah yeah. That's, that's precisely where it is. The top well, three yeah, films Yeah, I think it are, comes from like kinematic or something. Like it, yeah. I, I think the top three films are in fact Russian. Well, the, would, it, the joke is they would only allow, like the, the, the top three must be Russian films. And then after that you have like French, which is just called yeah. cinema. I don't, you know, and now, now I'm thinking about just something that would be so good for Mars Review Books, which is, um, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but when I was in undergrad, the Maoist international movement, the MIM notes, would get left around the student union, and they had the most out there um, movie reviews of mm. like stuff like Conan the Barbarian from an orthodox Maoist Marxist oh, cool. perspective, yeah, and um, those that was they had such a great voice and they were so earnest. Um, and the battleship Potemkin obviously is one that they really like. And then there's others that are just like unexpectedly just get blasted as like revisionist. Um, but they, they would, they would, <laughs> they would review like, you know, Hollywood blockbusters from a, um, their, their doctrinal lens. Now that, that was great. So that, that should be something that maybe should be looked into. Yeah. The only version I've seen of that is, um, 
like you know sometimes in new york i don't know but elsewhere if you go into like a fairly big catholic church there will be like a church or a diocese paper and there will be like reviews it'll be the same thing thing. like like um what's the movie with tonto who is taunt you know there's like this yeah, is some Lone great thing. Or yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a remake of the R- Lone Ranger, and there's like a review of it, like you know, saying why it's so much worse than the old L- Lone Ranger, and which I'm sure it is. But I feel like we went everywhere. Did we cover the Marsh review in it sufficiently? Well, I, you know, no, I have no agenda. I'm just here to, you know, have a convivial conversation. Yeah. So the Mars review of books. Uh, there'll be an Urbit group. It'll be in print. In select New York, select locations. Pardon me, in New York City, and also available hipster cafes. It'll yeah, be, you can find like in hipster that. cafes near you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's actually been kind of a cool little revival of print magazines in New York City. Sorry, I know you have to go, Andy. Of people just kind of like putting them in shelling points out for free, right? And it's like. Um, you can get like them the there for free, yeah. yeah, or you can pay for them by a subscription. You know, it's it's some kind of attempt to reinstantiate geographical importance. You know, maybe it won't succeed. I mean, probably that's actually well, I'm in favor. Not that possible, but it's like it's a nice attempt, and it's kind of fun. And you know, I don't know. So I think I'm going to do something like that, and then. You know, I've been writing a little book uh, on my group at BidBell backslash A, which is sort of like an Urbit-centric history of computing. I haven't finished Check it that out if up you to where like you it. are, but I, I did read the first chapter and it was a banger. I, really, I this is not me just trying to make you feel good. This Thanks, is, man. Yeah. It, was, it was good, yeah. Really. So... I, I do he suggest would tell people, you if he thought otherwise. Yeah, I definitely I would hope me. so, yeah. I, would, I mean, this I is wouldn't the other, have you okay, on the podcast. This, yeah, this... <laughs> We should all be honest about one another's artistic failings the same way if you're a programmer, you have to be honest about your colleagues' programming failings because the fucking thing is going to break if you're not, right? So I appreciate that sense of honesty. Well, you appreciate it because I just said it was great. No, I would have appreciated it if you said it sucked, genuinely. Uh, well, cha- chapter I mean, maybe two, not live chapter on your sh- podcast. Chapter two is a but... piece of shit. <laughs> Feel f- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, DM me about chapter two, okay? No, man? I, I haven't gotten there yet, but I did. I did just read chapter one because I was trying, to, and I, it was it was good. It's good, really. People should go check it out. Um. Anyway, no. So, well, are we calling you Noah? Or are we calling you like Lib uh, Libric Libric Librex Doesn't matter. Yeah, that's me. Oh, you pronounced it correctly. Yeah. The, uh, well, the third, the third Dazreich. Thanks for coming on the podcast. <laughs> no. What? No, 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 huh? no, no, no. Uh, Librex Dazreich. Thank you ah. for coming. Yeah. King of the Libs. King of the Libs. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Well, this was fun. Thank you for listening to The Stack. Follow us on Twitter at Stack Podcast. That's at S-T-A-C-K underscore podcast. Rate us very highly on whatever pod thing you listen with. And remember, it's always best to chew your toothpick before you swallow it. Mm-hmm.